0: When I was, like, five years old, <laughs> I saw their diplomas up on the wall, and I was like, what's that? <laughs> and they were like, oh, we went to college at the school called Penn, and I was like, I'll go there.
1: Our parents inevitably have a huge influence over us. We just heard from Tabitha Hickman about how she grew up hearing about Penn, and knew she wanted to go here from a young age.
2: For many of us, that legacy status plays a factor in admissions decisions. It's probably seen as a given. We might have even thought about the ways the policy will benefit ourselves and our children in the future. But behind what may seem like a standard admissions practice lies a policy with a pretty sinister history, one that some argue reinforces inequality and systematic privilege in higher education. I'm Jacob Gardenswartz,
1: And I'm Anika Ranginani, And in this episode, we'll explore the role that legacy status plays in admissions decisions and how it impacts the makeup of higher education more broadly. You'll hear from students whose families have attended Penn for generations, academics who study the legacy system, as well as admissions counselors whose sole job is to help get students into prestigious schools like Penn. We'll talk through the arguments on both sides of this debate so you can make up your own mind about where you stand. This is Quite Frankly. Hey, Annika. Hey, Jacob.
2: Welcome back. Long time, no podcast.
1: Yeah, with finals and break. We took a bit of a break.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did did you have a good winter break? Yes, totally. Um, So this episode, we're talking about the role that legacy status plays in admissions decisions. Um, How did we get to this topic?
1: Well, when the early decisions pool came out, we saw the stats and 25% of the early applicant pool was legacy admissions which was interesting given that only 16% of applicants were legacy. So you can see how a disproportionate number of students who were legacy were admitted. And while this is a commonly known fact, it was surprising to note that legacy students were almost twice as likely to get in as non-legacy applicants.
2: Yeah, and when early decisions comprises almost 50% of the total group of incoming freshmen, that means that legacy students have a pretty big leg up over the rest of everyone else, right?
1: Yeah, and... Jacob, you're not a legacy student, are you?
2: No, I was not. I certainly am not a first-generation college student. My parents both went to different universities, um, and so I definitely benefited from a lot of things going to a really great high school that prepared me to go to Penn, but I did not benefit from legacy status. How about you?
1: I'm definitely in the same situation.
2: So in this episode, we're going to start by exploring a little bit of the history of the legacy system, um, and then we'll talk through the arguments universities make in favor of it, some of the arguments that are made against it and who the people that are making those arguments are, Um, and then finally we'll finish up by talking a little bit about the likelihood of change, if we feel like there's any likelihood that this policy will be changed in the future.
3: Well, it really started uh, in the Ivy League in uh, the early part of the 20th century. Uh, A number of universities, including Harvard, were concerned about rising populations of of Jewish students and immigrant students, and they were trying to figure out a way of uh, capping their numbers uh, without um, continuing to use an explicit quota.
2: That's Dr. Richard Kallenberg, a senior fellow at the progressive think tank, the Century Foundation, and also the editor of a volume of essays from a few years ago entitled Affirmative Action for the Rich, which explored legacy preference and admissions decisions.
3: It has a really lively history of um, discriminatory in, in intent, and, uh, and then it became more widespread over time.
1: Mm, that doesn't sound very favorable. <laughs> so why do we still use the legacy system? What are the arguments for it?
2: That's a great question. Um, So first, I think it's pretty interesting to note that giving students of legacy background preference in admissions decisions is pretty much a uniquely American tradition. Prestigious universities elsewhere, like Oxford or Cambridge, for example, they all did away with this system many years ago. Now, from our reporting, it sounds like there are two main arguments in defense of legacy admissions. The first is that it increases donations to schools. Oh, the argument in favor of it is the legacy of giving. When you you admit the the children and the grandchildren of people who attended previously, you create generations of people who are going to give back monetarily to the school. When you look at buildings at the University of Pennsylvania, you'll see names of, and and if you look at their relatives, many of their relatives previously went to the University of Pennsylvania. This is, you know, tuition dollars only pay a, a, a portion. Of what it costs to educate a student at the University of Pennsylvania, it's those donations. It's been endowment that 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 that's all. That's the rest. That's Brian Taylor, the managing editor of Ivy Coach, a private admissions counseling service which helps students get into prestigious universities like Penn. Taylor has long been a vocal advocate for ending legacy preference at admissions. If you look at if you look at the Penn admits, the class of 2022, 25% are legacy admits. Uh, that's not a statistic that I believe that the University of Pennsylvania should be proud of.
1: How exactly does a donations argument work?
2: So, let's say, after you graduate next year, a couple of years later you get married, and a few years later you have kids. If you want your kids to go to Penn, the assumption goes you're probably more likely to donate money to the university. And then, another 10 or 15 years, your kid is a senior in high school and gets accepted to Penn. Well, now you're going to donate even more because you're so excited to have a second generation here.
1: So theoretically, giving the kids of alumni preference in admissions increases the likelihood that those alumni make donations to the university.
2: Exactly. That's the idea, at least.
1: And is there any evidence that this is true?
2: No. Um, Now, granted, there have not been too many studies on this topic, but of the few that have been conducted, they found that there's very little, if any, statistically significant correlation between legacy preference and alumni giving. Here's Dr. Callenberg again.
3: And when we looked at the issue more closely, it turned out there was there was virtually no research, uh, no empirical support for the idea that the existence of a legacy preference increases donations, and, in, and so um, as part of our volume of essays, we asked some researchers to Examined the most selective universities that were in the top 100 U.S. News and World Report at the time, and about 75 of them used legacy preferences, about 25 did not. And so uh, the researchers looked to see whether the existence of a legacy preference in fact increased given. And when they put in the proper controls, looking at the wealth of alumni and that sort of thing, it turned out that the existence of a legacy preference did not, in fact, have any significant impact on, on giving.
2: Even some Penn faculty acknowledged that the argument that legacy status increases donations just doesn't hold up. Here's what Dr. Camille Charles, director of the Center for Africana Studies, had to say.
0: At one point, I think believed more strongly than we do now that um, it would help with fundraising. So. Alumni would give money because they think it will help them get their children in, and then if their children in fact do get admitted, that they will continue to give money. Or if they hadn't given before, that they will then start to give money because they'll feel like, they'll feel a greater connection and feel like they got something of value out of the experience. Um, But as best I know, there is actually, there's not research that supports the idea that alumni who benefit from the use of legacy actually give more um, or, or are more inclined to give at all than those who don't.
2: Now, that's just looking at things in the aggregate. There are no doubt specific cases where colleges do feel pressured to admit the children of particularly rich or famous legacies in order to ensure that they continue to donate to the school. You might think about George W. Bush's admission to Yale, for example, or Harvard's infamous Z-List which is a document that admissions officials compile every summer full of rising seniors who are the children of particularly powerful and wealthy alumni. And that basically guarantees their admission before they've even started the college applications process.
1: I would not be surprised if the Trump family fell into this category. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's an interesting thought for sure. Um, Now, again, neither of us would insinuate that Tiffany or Ivanka or any of the other Trump kids didn't deserve to get into Penn. But I do think it would be pretty hard for admissions officials not to consider the fact that they're trumps during their deliberations. Let's just say that if Barron wants to go to Penn, I think he's got a pretty good shot.
1: (laughs) For sure. Okay, so let's forget the donations angle. What's the other argument in favor of legacy preference in admissions?
2: So the other, perhaps even more common argument in favor of legacy is that it really actually doesn't help people that much. This is sometimes called the tiebreaker argument. The idea that legacy really helps you only if admissions officials are torn between you and somebody else very similarly. But overall, being a legacy doesn't give you that much of an advantage.
1: And is that true?
2: Well, it's hard to say. Penn admissions and the admissions offices of most universities are pretty secretive about the ways that they score students during the deliberation process there's no publicly available information on their website about how much preference legacy gives you, except that Penn's definition of legacy includes any student with a parent or grandparent who graduated from any Penn undergrad or graduate program. We asked Penn admissions officials several times to meet with us and talk us through how they consider legacy preference in admissions decisions. Um, They did not respond to multiple requests for comment.
1: Yeah, I... I think it's a bit strange because our article wasn't ever really intended to be only a negative one, and we were just trying to understand the role that legacy plays. And we know from other research that Penn also considers other topics of reference, such as whether someone grew up around Philadelphia, but it's still very suspect that they wouldn't talk to us specifically how legacy impacts admissions.
2: Exactly. I think there could be a very valid argument to be made that um, just as Penn considers legacy as one metric, it also considers um sort of students' socioeconomic backgrounds, their geographic backgrounds, where they're from, um, but again, they declined to talk to us about any of that. So we don't really have much information about Penn specifically, but there have been several studies conducted in the past several decades that explore the boost given to legacy students in prestigious universities more broadly. Um, and what's interesting is they've all concluded that legacy helps you quite a bit. That,
3: that, that's always the argument that, well, this is just a, a tip in admissions. It doesn't really you know, the tiebreaker in very close calls. But researchers who have, have looked at this question have found that, uh, that legacy preference can be quite substantial. And so William Bowen, former resident of Princeton, did research looking at a number of elite universities and found that if you were a legacy, it increased your chances of admissions by 20 percentage points. That is if you had a chance of getting in based on your individual merit, suddenly you have a 70% chance of of getting in with the legacy preference. Another researcher, Thomas Estenshade, found that the legacy preference uh, was worth 160 points on the SAT.
1: One thing that anyone will tell you when you ask about legacy is that students who are admitted to Penn deserve to be here. And I don't think anyone would argue that that's not the case children of Penn alumni are very likely to have gone to good schools and to have done well in those places. Not to mention that they definitely have a close connection to the school and can probably write about Penn well in their admissions essay. I spoke with Susan Radoff about how she feels closer to her grandfather when she's at Penn and how she is better able to think positively about the school. I'm a big proponent just because I feel like you definitely have a a stronger tie to the university. I think a lot of people are very quick to criticize Penn for a lot of aspects of its culture, and maybe it's also because I am the fourth child, but, and maybe it's also partly because my mom has told me experiences that she's had, and she said, well, everything that people are complaining about on Penn's campus now is not a unique problem to Penn. A lot of students feel this, or like, I, st- I felt that when I was at Penn when I was there, so it hasn't changed. Like, I think a lot of it's just a product of being this age and feeling pressured to get a job quick or do something else. Um, So I think it's kind of steeped me in gratitude that way of like always trying to look at the more positive uh, aspect of it. Because of their close connection to the school, some Legacy students do support the Legacy process. But not all Legacy students support the process and have their qualms with it as well. Yeah, so I'm very picky about it because I think that there are some people who deserve to be in even if they're Legacy. because like they grew up in a household where like their parents both like were successful, they went to Penn and they like raised their kids to be successful and hardworking. Um, But then there's like also the types of legacy students that didn't really try very hard and kind of like glided through high school and like are here to find a husband or, you know (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I'm probably kind of more judgmental than others in that way. But given that legacy students are already often better prepared for college admissions than others, especially students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, the question remains why we continue to give them an extra boost in the admissions process.
2: Exactly. Having a parent or grandparents who went to Penn and schools like it means that you're probably already much more prepared for college applications than most other students.
1: I think it's time to hear some of the arguments against legacy.
2: So the chief argument against giving legacy students preference admissions decisions is that it reinforces systematic inequality in higher education.
3: So in our volume, there was an essay uh, that was co-authored by John Britton, who is the, um, was until recently the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Chief Counsel, and he and his co-author found that Even with affirmative action policies in place, African-American and Latino students are still underrepresented uh, at selective colleges. And so even with affirmative action by race, you know, been in place for some time, the existence of legacy preferences disproportionately benefits white students. And almost by definition, it benefits privileged students.
2: Legacies, by and large, come from white, high-wealth families. So, If we agree that socioeconomic and racial diversity is something universities should strive for, giving legacy students preference at admissions decisions sort of stands in direct opposition to that.
1: That makes a lot of sense.
2: Granted, we're entering a time when, for the first time in history, you are having students of color applying to universities who could benefit from legacy preference. As Dr. Charles argued, moving away from legacy admissions now would mean eliminating a perk right as this group of people were first able to utilize it.
0: Part of what is ironic to me in terms of wanting to have that conversation now, is that it's only in the last few years that you start to see any meaningful number of um, racial minority applicants, for example, who are actually legacy beneficiaries. And so it's like at, at the precise moment that you start to have a critical mass of traditionally underrepresented and disadvantaged people who have access to that, that benefit Um, we want to talk about getting rid
2: of it. And yet, as we mentioned earlier, those students of color who are benefiting from legacy preference are probably doing pretty all right already, given that they were born to parents who were Penn grads. As the legacy system continues, we may well see it lead to more racial diversity, but it will always make it harder for students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds to get into prestigious schools
3: like Penn. Well, I mean, it it is true, of course, that that well-off people of color can benefit from from legacy preferences, um, disadvantaged people of color will continue to be hurt by legacy preferences, um, which is, I think, the, the group uh, I'm I'm most uh, concerned about in American society.
1: There's also some interesting legal and constitutional arguments against legacy.
2: Yeah. So some, like Brian Taylor, argue that they violate tax code because. They provide a benefit to individuals who make tax-deductible donations to universities, something that's forbidden by the IRS. Others have even argued that legacy preference in public schools actually violates the nobility clauses of the U.S. Constitution.
1: Hmm, that's really interesting.
2: Yeah, to be honest, I'm not sure how much weight either of those arguments really carries. Um, and to explore whether these legal and constitutional challenges are actually legitimate would require the IRS or the U.S. Justice Department to start to investigate universities' use of the legacy system. It's not something I see the Trump administration doing anytime
1: soon. <laughs> no.
2: Why do you think more people aren't upset about legacy preference at admissions?
1: Well, I think it has a lot to do with subconscious feelings of who, quote unquote, belongs at Penn. I think students whose parents went here are more likely to have access to resources and the support to succeed here and feel like they fit in. It's the same sort of subconscious nudge that makes lower income students question whether they belong at Penn.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I also think that people who are currently or who have recently graduated from Penn probably want to be able to use the legacy preference for their own kids in the future.
1: For sure. Do you feel like you belong at Penn?
2: Um, it's a hard question, but I would say yes overall. I think everyone here experiences some feelings of imposter syndrome at some point, given that it is just such a competitive place. But overall, I, I'd say like I feel like I belong here. How about you?
1: i have to agree with you. I definitely feel academically qualified to be here, but every once in a while I'll get a comment like, you don't seem like a Wharton student, and I'm never quite certain how to respond to that. Like, should I be happy because I'm not perceived like a snake? <laughs> or um, should I be annoyed that there's so many set views here about what a Penn student or what a Wharton student should be like? Yeah. Um, I guess what makes one person feel like they belong here and others feel like they don't? Um, at the very least, legacy admissions definitely make it clear who Penn thinks should belong here. It's part of this implicit messaging.
2: Totally. It's hard to dispute that when Penn considers legacy preference at admissions, it's inherently making a statement about who Penn believes belongs here.
1: Do you think there's any likelihood that universities like Penn stop considering Legacy anytime soon?
2: I would say that's probably pretty unlikely. Ultimately, Penn is going to be responsive to where the money and the donations are, and even if there's little concrete evidence that Legacy increases donations, I don't see why Penn would stop giving kids of alumni preference anytime soon.
1: College admissions is a zero-sum game, so there's no doubt that most Legacy students will thrive at Penn. but. How many people are not able to gain admission because of the legacy students' double advantage?
2: This episode was produced by Lauren Sorrentino and edited and hosted by Anika Rangineni and me, Jacob Gardenswartz. Our music was composed by Andrew Ellis, and quite frankly, is presented by the Daily Pennsylvania. If you have an idea for a story you think we should look into or just want to send us a comment about the episode, you can email us at podcasts@thedp.com. At Thanks for joining us and look
3: out for our next episode soon.